One topic, two chicks, three points of view. What does it really mean to do time? Police emergency. Life in prison. Keeping people safe is the first duty of government. Oi, oi. You can get spies, you can get heroin, you can get crack. It is criminality, pure and simple. I'm facing time. It's not on the hiring, it's common scars. I don't know how long it could be, four years, ten years. There's no one solution. Could be life. Who cares for the men behind these doors? Bird. Welcome to episode four of Bird. We're Nina and Kate, and as usual, we'll be investigating all things prison and social justice by chatting to former prisoners, prison staff and political lobbyists. And this time we'll be talking about life sentences. I didn't know that uh, we gave children in this country life sentences. Apparently we were sort of one of the last countries in the whole of Europe that still does that to children. So that was quite a shock. That's Jan. Jan's son was sentenced to life under joint enterprise when he was a child. As a result of her son's conviction, Jan co-founded Jengba, Joint Enterprise Not Guilty by Association, a group which campaigned for and with those wrongly convicted. Clearly murder is the one that stands out as, as attracting the most people's attention, the one that we most hear about in the press, but there are various different offences that you can receive a life sentence for. So uh, offences such as rape, um, aggravated burglary, which is burgling a house with a weapon, um, drug smuggling, um, supplying drugs uh, and causing grievous bodily harm with intent. Um, all of those carry a maximum sentence of, of life in prison. That's John McNamara. He's a criminal barrister who has worked on cases with clients ranging from high net worth individuals to very vulnerable young people. When I actually got it, uh, me back then, I was quite arrogant in the context of I just didn't think it was applicable to me. Like, I didn't actually think that whatever he gave me that day, I didn't think I was going to actually sit in prison and serve it. I, I, I was quite dismissive of it. Um, because to me, it, it didn't mean anything. I got set a minimum tariff, which was five years. And the judge said that if he was going to give me a, a, a determinate sentence that day, he would have given me 10 years in prison. But he said that because he wanted to give me the life sentences because he believed that I posed a risk to the public. That's John McAvoy. He was formerly a high-profile armed robber with a life sentence. John McAvoy has since found redemption through the power of sports, having broken both British and world records whilst in prison. He is now forging a new life as an endurance athlete and speaker who is committed to using his story of rehabilitation to help and inspire others. John, our lawyer, explains that the sentencing of serious crimes can massively vary case to case. For all of those offences that I've mentioned, there are specific sentencing guidelines that the court will use to determine what the length of sentence ought to be. Uh, and for all of those offences, excluding murder for a moment assistance, separate issue, for all of those offences, the, the guidelines, in fact, don't actually run up to um, life. Life is for exceptionally serious cases where the um, facts are so grave and the um, person committing the offence is deemed to be effectively to be a danger to the public that the judge has no option other than um, to impose a, a, a life sentence. As of 2014, the UK had 8,661 prisoners serving life sentences. That's 11% of the whole prison population. 
It's not just adults that can get a life sentence, children can too. The Ministry of Justice stats state that from 2006 to 2016, 197 child life sentences were handed down. These had been given to children as young as 13. Our, our case went to trial pretty quickly within three months of the incident, so we sort of, it was rocket speed, it was, you know, I've never heard of a case go to court so quickly so um, there wasn't even a moment to sort of take a breath and get your head around it. Nobody had the opportunity to explain what joint enterprise was to me let alone to, to, to my son. I think when, when you've got someone very young getting a life sentence I think the worst part about it is getting your head around uh, the length of time that, that they have to do. Joint enterprise is a term where someone can be held responsible for a crime despite not committing the actual offence themselves. If they were involved with others and seemed to know the crime was going to take place and were working together, regardless of the role they played, all parties can be charged for the same offence. For example, murder. Many people have a common misconception that a life sentence means that the person will be in prison for the rest of their life. This is actually rarely the case. John McNamara explains why. In terms of life sentences, when a judge imposes a life sentence, he also needs to set out what the minimum term that that prisoner will serve will be. That varies what, what in practice that means. That person will have to serve that amount of time before they become eligible for parole. So if, for example, um, someone receives a, a life sentence um, with a minimum term of 15 years, they would have to serve that for 15 years. Uh, and once they've served that 15 years, they can apply for parole and the parole board will assess them to see whether or not they are um, rehabilitated and safe to be released out into the community. And they will spend the rest of their life on licence, so they will spend the rest of their life subject to conditions that probation decides necessary to attach um, to them being out in the community. Most prison sentences can be served half in custody and half in the community. In contrast, when it comes to a life sentence, the minimum term is fixed and must be completed in full. Lifers do not have a release date, and only after completing their minimum term would they be considered for release via a parole board. Lots of people say to me, um, if your son got 12 years, he must be out now, and he mustn't have done very long because he would have been released after half, half the 12 years, and for good behaviour, perhaps he did five. No, that's not how it works. So many people think that you only have to go to prison for half of the tariffs that they give you, and if you behave yourself, they'll give you some leeway. You know, I mean, uh, some people don't know what minimum tariff means. I mean, in my world now, it's sort of general language. We talk about tariffs and halfway reviews and all those kind of things, but if I were to say that to my next-door neighbour, she'd, she'd sort of go blank and not know what I was talking about. There are a number of highly emotional phases involved in a life sentence aside from doing prison time. One of those is the trial. For most people, it's incredibly stressful. I think that the, the real stress comes from the uncertainty of the whole process in terms of what is going to happen and um, firstly, whether or not they'll be found uh, guilty or not guilty. And then after that, any consequences that are likely to flow, i.e. are they going to go to prison? If so, for how long? It is an incredibly stressful process for um, most people going through the system, regardless of whether they've been through the system before or not. I've had clients where they have quite extensive records and they still find the process very, very stressful. 
So everything was very, very chaotic. Um, our legal team, we had uh, the solicitor that we had was actually the duty solicitor, and we were really fond of him. He did his best, you know. Um, but I don't think him and um, the barristers and the QC that we had actually knew what they were doing themselves. So um, they couldn't explain things to me. I kept sort of trying to ask some questions, and it just, it just, I just never got the correct answer. It is important for clients and families to understand what is happening to them during a trial. John talks about how he tries to provide clarity in this situation. Part of my role is to ensure that they understand what's happening um, and the likely outcomes. So it's almost, it's sort of like a, a, a patient-doctor relationship in a way where you sort of have to set out the facts for them so they fully understand the process and often that provides some level of reassurance. Obviously, they're still concerned about um, what actually will happen, but explaining to them the, the process, the likely sentence that they would receive, um, and those aspects sort of does help. Certainly, that's something that all barristers do. Once someone is sentenced and sent to prison, that's just the beginning of the story. Families and friends face huge social and emotional strain whilst the people close to them are inside. Jan talks about her experience. I, I don't drive. Um, and, and you hear all this stuff about sort of family ties where, you know, offenders need family ties. And I can't understand why, if that is the case, then why would you take a 16-year-old, lock him up 250 miles away from his mother who cannot drive and makes everything a nonsense and a mockery out of everything that's said. Um, but, you know, hell and high water, I made damn sure I got there. Financially, it cripples us. And, I, and, it, and it was exhausting because, I mean, as a mother, you kind of feel the distance between your child. And it doesn't matter how old he is, he, he can be 30 years old and you still feel that trauma. For some reason, as, as, as he's got closer, prison-wise, um, you know, no longer is he almost on the outskirts of Scotland. As he got closer and further towards the northwest, it felt as if he was close to me. There were some times that I had to sort of travel one day because it would take six or seven hours to get wherever I needed to go uh, and have to stay over in a hotel and then come back the next day. You know, and not everybody's very understanding. John tells us how his family were affected. Again, when you say to someone about a life sentence, they don't really get it. Like, people don't understand it. You have to sit there and explain it to them. And, like, the general public just think, when you get life, you should be in prison for life. My mum thought that I'd never get out of prison again. And I had to sit there and, and explain it. My mum was quite traumatised by it because, like, again, like, her son, 24 years old, just gets this, like, double life sentence. And it's all in the national newspaper. Straight away, she's left court thinking, I'm never going to get out of prison again. John started his life sentence in a high-security prison, or Category A prison. These house prisoners whose escape would be highly dangerous to the public or national security. There are four categories of prison in England and Wales. A, B, C and D. The letters reflect levels of security, with A being the most secure establishment and D being the least secure, as these are open prisons. The environment of every category prison would be very different. John tells us more. Very, um, very predatorial. Um, the only way you can explain what those prisons are like, survival of the fittest. Everyone's looking at everyone. 
everyone's suspicious of everyone. Lots of very, very, very violent, dangerous beds. Like, guys, a lot of people got severe mental health issues. A lot of young men that, that, that are doing such big fences that they that, that they just don't care. Like, they're involved in gang stuff outside, they've gone to prison and again, that ego, macho, being macho, being strong, being the big man, like, Jan talks about her son's progression through the prison system. I find that the conditions in these places where my son actually sort of spent two, three years at, at a time, they were hot beds of violence and misery, a terrible condition. So as he's progressed and he's gone to, to, to prisons that are of less category, but with, with men, with older men, who again are guilty of whatever crimes they've committed, he, I, we find that this seems to be, it's not easy, it's never going to be easy in prison, but there, there's a, sort of a, a more easier approach to it and, a, and, and an ability to sort of get through every day without the, the panic and the fear of what's going to happen to you. Getting parole means you can leave prison or be released from custody. With a life sentence, a prisoner would get contacted about their parole around three years before the end of their minimum term. Getting parole is often a hard process, which can make it very challenging for prisoners and their families. Being eligible for parole does not mean it will be granted. In fact, it may never be granted. But over time, most prisoners are granted parole on the basis they no longer represent a risk to society. They will be released with a number of conditions and they will be kept under supervision in the community for the rest of their life. If these conditions are breached, they may be sent back to prison. Our guests share their stories. Good thing about the parole board is that the, the, the people who make up the parole board and make the decision as to whether someone should be released into the community. Ordinarily, it's a judge, a Crown Court judge. Often there's a, a psychologist or a, or a psychiatrist on the panel and then another member who is ordinarily very experienced in, in dealing with parole issues. So the people who are making the decisions, by and large, do tend to be highly qualified people. When you go to the hearings, they often lead the questioning of both the prisoner and of the offender manager and of the offender supervisor to find out the answers to the questions that are concerning them. And so they really do address the, the issues that are of concern to whether or not this person is capable of being released back into the community. They would lead the questioning and then their lawyer, or if they're conducting the uh, hearing themselves, the prisoner would be able to ask questions to any person who's effectively giving evidence. And at the end of it, they, you can, as their representative, you sort of make a 
you address them as to any issues you feel are outstanding and they go away and make their decision. My son's sort of coming towards the end of his sentence. It all depends on the behaviour that he, you know, the progression and the behaviour, his behaviour throughout the system. You know, someone who's maintaining innocence, there's a, there's a sort of uh, a belief that if you maintain innocence, you will not progress. Because I have an understanding of how, the, how things work and because I've sort of gone out there and learned things, we, we've come to realise that you can maintain your innocence. You can sort of do the corset without having to sort of say, yes, I was guilty and this is what I did. You can still sort of do these courses and you can still progress. Two of my parole hearings got postponed because someone made a mistake on a piece of paper and put down I was doing the wrong sort of life sentence. They didn't do that once. One, one of my hearings got deferred for 10 months, and then, they, and then they did it again. When I um, when I went for my second hearing, someone didn't rectify the problem. So again, I'm, I'm about to sit my parole hearing. Three days before, I get called into an office, and they said, sorry, we've made the same mistake again. You, but you're talking like, this is the issue, you're talking like, that was two years of my life that was completely wasted because of bureaucrat. That should not be right. That people shouldn't be able to do that to people. And, and I'm fortunate that I'm quite mentally resilient. Like, my life had changed at that point. Um, I realised I had an ability of something. I wanted to do something with it. Like, I generally changed. All I wanted was my opportunity to sit in front of the panel to say, look what I've done. And I was denying that. And that's not fair. And, 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 a, and a lot of guys, really, really struggle with it, guys. Right? And they do, and that's why you tend to find that the drug problems that develop and the self-harming, because they become very hopeless, and their heads are all over the place. Like they're in prison and they want to get out, but they're, they're stuck in there and they don't know when they're going to get out. Eventually, everyone's got a breaking point. But like, if you look at my story in particular, and you look at what I've done, or what I did whilst I was in prison, so, like, as far as I was aware, and I'm aware to today, I'm the only man just gone through the prison system and done what I've ever done. Um, I, I was at an event a few months back at the Ministry of Justice and the Justice Minister stood up and gave a speech to 150 people after I spoke. And, and he said that I was the greatest success story that's ever come out of our penal system. But bear in mind, I did all that stuff that he, he basically he, he credited to me and he, and, he, and he praised me for. I did that stuff in prison. But I'm still denied a parole hearing. If you could quite clearly see a case of a person that's changed in terms of life now, and I was even denied a, 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 a hearing, and it's delayed because of, of a mistake, not because of my behaviour, not because I'd attacked the prison officer or attacked the prisoner or got caught on the mobile phone. Like, I had no adjudications against my name in prison. My, my behaviour was exemplary throughout the whole time in prison. But I'm denied my right to have a hearing because someone made a mistake. And you bear in mind, that's me. So bear in what, what do you think happens to people that are in there that, that get caught with drugs? And when I say get caught with drugs, like they get caught with uh, a, a joint. And that can just stop them having their hearings for years. But when you're in prison doing the life sentence, they can hold you in prison an extra year, two years because of that. Right? But if you're doing a fixed amount of imprisonment, they can't do that. And you'll be released out onto the street. Whilst inside... Prisoners serving sentences are offered rehabilitation in a number of different ways. One of these is completing behavioural and offence-focused courses. These can be looked upon favourably by the Parole Board as they aim to reduce risk to the public. A lot of people I come across in that environment weren't really interested in changing, so you would go and like enhance thinking skills and one prisoner would go through that programme which was six weeks and then when they got to the end of that six-week programme, 
they would obviously know what all the coursework was. So then they would give that to sort of other prisoners, and then the other prisoners would just duplicate what they'd done and just change the index of them. I do think there is a ter- there is a lot of money um, wasted um, pumping money into those, some of those courses because they aren't worth paying the rent. You cannot make someone change. You, you cannot do it. Like, they can only change when they're ready to change. I think a lot of the courses that, that, that the prisoners have to do are sort of basically all the same. I mean, we're, we're assuming that everybody everybody who's in prison is either sort of, you know, that there's drug or drink and alcohol issues or uh, issues of violence and aggression. So those, those are the kind of courses he did, you know, uh, substance abuse and alcohol. And if you bear in mind that he was 15 when he was charged with murder, there wasn't really any substance abuse or alcohol abuse. So... Um, you know, but he still did the courses, uh, and of course, did the courses with the with the um, mindset that he was learning how not to be. There were sort of anger, anger management courses, and about violence and stuff. Now, obviously, he was convicted of murder, so he sort of fits into the category that he's obviously a violent offender. Although he, uh, so he's never used violence. He has no violent record, and he has no anger. But. I, when I spoke to him, I said, but there must be some anger inside of you because of what's happened to you, because of what the state has done to you, because you've been convicted of a crime you haven't committed. Why don't you sort of take the course? So there has to be some some part of you that feels very angry about that um, <clears throat> and take the course with, with that mindset that, you know, you may be angry about what's happened to you, but not actually... The anger isn't focused on an individual or a person. So, um, but as a as a young man growing up and, and growing up in, in 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 a prison system, that is a very violent environment and an environment where there's a lot of drugs uh, and, and and sort of people who are very angry. Then it, it is something that I suppose he had to sort of do in order to sort of for his own self-preservation in, in that condition but as far as his sort of rehabilitation was concerned it, it, none of them were of much relevance uh, uh, we didn't think anyway once someone is released from prison after serving a life sentence they are then faced with the huge challenge of integrating back into society and trying to regain a normal life i think i think it's going to be a new kind of trauma and it's going to be as traumatic as um, going to prison in the first place. I think when someone's released from prison after such a long time, a normal life will probably be quite unbearable for him. There won't be any freedom to sort of go out and do what he likes. He'll, he'll be sort of looking whether people are staring at him, whether wondering whether someone's going to do something bad to him. Um, and there's also the you know the media the local media and the national media this they just love to sort of ruin people's lives and if someone's got out of prison and and you know they're out innocently doing a bit of shopping we've seen it so many times in, in the newspapers such and such a body's out shopping when he should be in jail and it's like well no he served his sentence and he's done his time and there seems to be this attitude with people that you know your time is never up often the way someone is treated in the community and the opportunities made available to them can make or break whether someone reoffends and whether they return to prison. John discusses with us his relentless focus and drive to help others believe in themselves. Despite repeatedly proving himself as reformed, he still faces challenges of his own and admits not everyone gets the same chance he did. I've been out of prison for five years now. Um, the stuff that I'm doing in my life, like what I've gone on to, to, to want to do, 
Right, last year I spoke to 20 plus thousand children up and down the country. I've set my own charity up. I'm sponsored by a nice professional athlete. And I still have to ask permission every time I travel abroad. And even when and even when I've asked to go on holiday, when I come back, the following day I have to go and see my probation officer to prove I've not run away. Come on, mate. When people change and they demonstrate they change, you've got to give them a little bit more. When you say to them, I've got a life sentence, they don't realise what that actually entails. Like the fact that wherever I live, I've got to get that address approved. In some regards, I think it is a little, it is very harsh, I think, um, because if you believe in second chances and you believe in rehabilitation, there has to come a point where, yes, you've given a life sentence, but I think if you come out and you demonstrate genuinely change, they have to look at that and go, you know what, like, you are, it's a waste of resources putting money into that person. I'm sure there's far more at high risk people she could be doing stuff with to make sure that they're not reoffended. There are a lot of things to consider when it comes to life sentences. Prisoners can end up serving way over their minimum term, sometimes due to only minor indiscretions. For years, the parole board had a huge backlog, and although a big effort has been made to reduce it, are determinate sentences something to be considered more carefully before sentencing someone to life? At least that way, someone has a release date and a sense of hope. How can people be better supported? It could be said that offending behaviour courses are a poor indicator of whether someone has actually made progress. Should we consider alternative methods of education? I think those resources could be far better used, like in actually educating people. I, I do get there's a, there's a balancing act in it, and, and some people like, have got issues with anger, and they need to learn how to control that anger, and they need to have an awareness of what triggers them and stuff. I get there's, there is a place for that, but I do think it needs to be far more balanced. Than, I think it's very simplistic to say. Could more be done to enhance a person's skills whilst they are serving a sentence? A life sentence means there is plenty of time for someone to develop their skill set and be trained in specific careers which could assist someone on release. If we want prisoners to turn their lives around, they need to be allowed to put their time inside to good use. As there is a lot of research, stating employment reduces the likelihood of reoffending. Through the help of the prison officer um, and him giving me an opportunity on the round machine, I realised I was good at something, then I didn't realise I could get used to that, being good at that. I use my body as a vehicle to get me away from that lifestyle. But that's the important thing, it's about opportunity. So you're dealing with young men with amazing skills that are 14, 15, 16 years old, a lot of them, vast majority of them, are drug-related offences. If you sat down and you said to them, if I give you a kilo of crack or heroin, how many grams would you get out of that? Bang, I'll tell you. How much money would you make? Bang, I'll tell you. What would the turnover be? They get the chain, they understand what business is, but they've applied that into criminality. If you show them that, in fact, for those skills that they've got, if they can be redirected, so that redirection of those skills I've put into, into training, and I think that with these young people, if, if you can show them and open up their mindsets and go, do you know what? And honestly, like, when you go into prison, some of the resilience that those young men have got that are 15, 16 years old, that are being locked up for 24 hours a day and being able to cope with that stress and pressure. The resilience and inner strength they've got, if you can harness that and then show them that these abilities that they've got, that they can put that into something positive and, and, and set up a business, 
and be as successful as a businessman. But if you want to achieve something in your life, you show them that they've got that potential to do that and direct them into it. I believe that these kids can go off to achieve amazing things in their lives and the environment in which they've grown up in and the lack of opportunity. That if you want to make anything in your life, the only people that they see, and when I say make anything in their lives, they grow up in an environment where like they've got nothing. Like literally nothing. A lot of them have been excluded from school, they've had terrible experiences at school. The role models that they've grown up about that, that, that are manipulating them, they do, they're encouraging them to be violent, they encourage them to sell drugs and kill people. And then they then think the natural progression through that is to go through a gang or to become a bigger drug dealer. Like, if you can get these young people, and when they, before they've even gone to the point of prison, but if you get them in prison and you show them and open up their awareness and open up their eyes, to the fact that they're, they're very, they can be very successful doing something else. Because as I said, they're, they're, not, they're not bad people, they're not bad kids. Adjusting to life in the community can be overwhelmingly challenging. The world outside will have undergone huge changes in the time someone has been inside. When researching for this podcast, we found it incredibly difficult to find any up-to-date resources which specifically support lifers on coping with release and how to reintegrate back into the community. People do need help. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes people come out and, they, and obviously you need to aid them, to support them, to give them that little bit of a platform and foundation to build up for them to grow as a person. You need to expect that responsibility for your life and you need to say, do you know what? I'm going to take control back now and I'm going to be the one to create and make my life. We have created a booklet in conjunction with this podcast, which we will be making available soon. Email us or keep an eye out for the link on our Twitter. Change is possible. Here's some final thoughts from John. If I've gone on with my life to change, change is possible for anyone. I, 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 I would be quite honest about this. I was the most one-track-minded, hardcore criminal you ever meet in your life. My whole identity from being a young kid to being a man was crime. Like, people that I looked up to as a young boy, they were all involved in organised crime. People that I aspired to be like when I got older, they were all involved in organised crime. My reputation, my ego, it was all, it was all, it was all wrapped up in crime. Like, that was my identity. I was known as that guy that was that never grasped his mates up, but when he went to prison, he kept his mouth shut. That he was really game, that he did loads of stuff and he was young and mad. And that was what my identity was. So if I've gone on to change my life, I'm an avid believer that anyone can change their lives because I know what my mindset was like back then and how fixated I was on money and how fixated I was on that lifestyle and, um, and the fact that it was all I knew. I did not know anything else. So if I've managed to turn my life around, I know it's possible for anyone. A huge thank you to John McAvoy, Jan and John McNamara for taking their time to contribute towards this episode. And we hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Thanks to the Leaf Library for the music today and shout out to Louise Young for production support. If you or anyone else would like to get involved with Bird, drop us an email at whatitmeanstodotime at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at birdpodcast. See you next time on Bird. <laughs>